Men, indeed, if this country is to be great and to remain a force within the powers that, that exist within this world, we must confess that our independence comes from our dependence upon the true and living God. Indeed, within those founders' documents, uh, we find that testimony. On July 4th of 1776, those founding fathers of our nation showed a true dependence on God as the foundation and source of a new nation to be known as the United States of America in their declaration of independence from oppression and tyranny from across the ocean. They pen these words, when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among them are life liberty and the pursuit of happiness and for the support of this declaration that document closes with with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. These men indeed knew and understood that there was a full dependence upon the living God for what they were about to pursue. They understood that in their declaration of dependence, there needed to be a declaration of dependence upon God for His protection and provision for what was about to take place. Indeed, the Christian faith is the faith that laid the foundations for the core principles of the great experiment that unfolded here on these shores. It is the Christian faith that was the source of the ideas and ideals which were pursued in those founding documents and as a celebration of the centennial uh, centennial ratification of the United States Constitution, George Warren penned those beautiful words to God of our fathers to attribute proper worship to our great God for the free land which he had given to us. And so when we sing God of our fathers whose almighty hand leads forth in beauty all the starry band of shining worlds and splendors through the skies our grateful songs before thy throne arise thy love divine hath led us in the past in this free land by thee our lot is cast be thou our ruler guardian guide and stay thy word our law thy paths our chosen way this is a confession of dependence of dependence upon God, of how we might have life, liberty, and indeed might have the blessings of God to attend to us. We need to understand it is not by man's law that we are free. It is by God's initiative that we are made free. And yet today within the United States, we see an increasing marginalization of the Christian church, both in its physical presence and vocal presence within the community. Not too long ago, if you went to any town, no matter where you were in America, you would go downtown and you would find a square. And around that square, there would be churches near the heart or center of the 
the town because those churches were significant in the hearts and lives of those communities. But now we find the churches increasingly pushed to the periphery of the community in the same way their physical location has been pushed away from the local town square. Their vocal representation within the town square has diminished as well. For indeed, when the church raises its voice in our day to decry social injustice, moral negligence, or important stances on issues such as the sanctity of human life, we are told to sit down and to move to the back of the room. Why? We are told because America has moved past its need to depend on God. We have set those things aside because our ideas and beliefs are old hat to them. And now America seems to be tolerant of every kind of idea and ideal except for those by which it was founded. Indeed, we, we understand that America today is tolerant of every idea except the ideals of liberty, life, love, and tolerance that were uniquely adapted and adopted from the Christian faith in our founding documents. So today, Christians are marginalized both in physical presence and vocal presence within our nation. But also, we are increasingly becoming absent within the church. And our churches are shrinking. As we look around us, we notice that indeed churches overall are on a downward spiral. And we need to be greatly concerned because it is showing that indeed, though we say we are a Christian nation, in fact, there are many who are falling away from God, not just by being attacked from without is a church facing danger, but from attacks within. For indeed, though there are 300 people here this morning, we will be doing very well to get a quarter of you back this evening to worship together. See, the marginalization of the church and her importance in the lives of the people that she serves and teaches with the word of truth is not just coming from attacks without. It is coming from complacency within. As we celebrate today, this week, our National Independence Day, indeed, Christians, you and I should remember that it is indeed our dependence on God that brings true freedom within this world to worship and serve our Creator, not the rule of man. We are to devote ourselves to God. We are to give ourselves, surrender ourselves fully to His Son. And we are to find our true identity as citizens of His eternal kingdom. For indeed, God created us and God has given us this great nation. And we need to celebrate not only the nation and those who have given their lives here within this world physically for this nation. We need to celebrate the God who is over all nations. As we come this morning, let us take for ourselves the Bible and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, and let us see that indeed dependence on God brings freedom for the man of God. Let's stand now as we read together this passage of Scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, it says, But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness. Godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Flee from these things, you man of God. 
and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Father, we come to you in these moments and ask that your hand would attend to us. Father, that your spirit would come and illuminate this passage of Scripture, that we would see that true freedom comes from dependence upon God. And Father, you are the one who gives us the freedom to flee from evil and to follow you. Lord, we ask that each and every one of us would be convinced and convicted in our hearts of that truth. And Father, that we would seek you and serve you with each and every breath that we have been given. Lord, we ask now that you would, Father, allow us to see your word, to see our sin, and Father, to surrender our souls. Father, every area and aspect of our lives to you and to you alone. Lord, we ask now that you, Father, would speak, for your servants are listening. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. We see within this passage that the man of God is identified by his dependence on Jesus Christ as he flees the world and follows God. The man of God is, uh, is identified by his dependence on Jesus Christ as he flees the world and follows God. Indeed, that is the mark of the true Christian, that you are fleeing from the world and following God. And we are to be known, identified, not primarily by our out, outward aspects, but by our true inner spiritual man. And so we see within this passage today that the man of God is going to be identified uh, with Christ as he flees from the world and follows God. First of all, and this is going to be the main point, the only point for this morning's sermon, but there are two supporting points that we'll come to in a moment. But the Christian's identity is the man of God. Now, ladies, don't get lost or get offended. I'm going to come to and explain what I mean by the man of God. I know it's politically incorrect, but that's the language that's in the text, so I'm going to use that term, the man of God. But by that, I mean all of those who are Christians are to see themselves as children of God. For Paul has been exhorting Timothy and those within the church not to be swayed by false teachers, their flawed teaching, or the foolish things of this world. He has exhorted him to be a man of, not of, not a man of gold, but a man of God. Not a man of covetousness, but a man of conviction. Not to be a man of vice, but a man of virtue says, listen, you, you need to not be a man of gold, but a man of God. Not a man of covetousness, but a man of conviction. Not a man that is given to vice, but a man that is given to virtue. And Paul tells Timothy to find and fill, find his full identity as a man of God. Timothy, you are a man of God. Now in the Old Testament, the man of God was a declaration of one that would faithfully proclaim and defend the, the commands given by the living God. He is a man who would faithfully proclaim and defend God's word. And here within, and so we see that term man of God used in the Old Testament to describe men like Moses, Samuel, Elijah, Elisha, David, and other prophets. We see that it's a great term of endearment. And here we need to understand when Paul says to young Timothy, Timothy, you are a man of God. He's saying you're a man who faithfully proclaims and defends the word of God. 
But in the only other use of this expression within the New Testament, we find that over in 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, just a page or so over in your Bibles. And there the man of God appears to be any Christian who becomes thoroughly equipped for every good work through receiving God-breathed wor- the God-breathed words of Scripture. In other words, it says all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate equipped for every good work he says listen if you want to be a man of god you receive the faithful words god has proclaimed within his scripture and so indeed we see this word for tim this word specifically is for timothy but it is also for all of the body both men and women who faithfully proclaim and defend god's gracious work of redemption in the gospel of jesus christ and so we need to understand how we live flows from who we are and and paul says to timothy timothy you are a man of god Fathers, are you a man of God? Mothers, are you a woman of God? Children, are you kids of the King? Indeed, how we live is to flow from who we are and our identity is to be that we are Jesus Christ's sons and daughters. Paul opens this verse in the Greek by reminding Timothy of this true identity, this true spiritual identity as a recipient of God's grace. He says, but you, O man of God, that's that's what comes first. You, O man of God. He emphatically states Timothy's identity to make sure that this young pastor, this timid pastor, Timothy, remembers that his status is one of dependence on the living God that is to flow into every area and aspect of his life. Surely this statement was like a shot of steroids in the arm for this young, naturally timid timid and physically frail pastor. Don't forget. Timothy was young. Some of the people were talking about him. In fact, he was too young to be a pastor. Surely he doesn't know enough to be our pastor. Surely he can't lead us. Surely he's going to have problems. And timid. He was timid. He shrank back from having any confrontations. He never wanted to confront other people. And not only that, but he was physically frail and fragile. Timothy, take a little bit of wine so that your stomach might be eased says, listen, Timothy, I know you're young. I know you're timid. I know you're frail and fragile, but I want you to remember you are a man of God. You are a man of God. Timothy, you were divinely converted, commissioned and enlisted to be a living witness of God's gracious work of salvation for the soul of sinful man. So, Timothy, you stand up, you straighten your back. Timothy, you hold your head up and say out loud, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Timothy. You stand fast and let your identity as a man of God be seen by all those who would look upon your life. Timothy was an open book for the gospel uh, gospel message to go forward. And let me tell you here this morning, if you are a Christian, your life is to be an open book for the gospel message to go forward. 
Some of you have shrunk back from your friends and your family. Well, I, I want to tell the gospel, but you know how much it would hurt to have to confront them over the sin in their life. You know how much it would hurt my daughter or my son to hear the truth about what God says about he or she, how he or she is living. And we're more concerned about their comfort and the complacency of this world than we are concerned about condemnation to eternal hell for those who do not know Jesus Christ. Listen, don't shrink back. Don't be timid. Don't be worried about your physical inadequacies, your frailness and your fragility. You straighten your back. You stand up and you stand forth for the word of God. Indeed, I am a child of God. I am redeemed by the blood of Christ and grafted in by grace through Jesus Christ, my redeemer. I will stand forward. Timothy You're a man of God. As Christians, especially within this warped and wicked culture that we live in in our day, we must understand that our deportment and character either confirm or deny our identity as Christ's fellow heirs. We either confirm or deny by our character and our deportment, by the way that we live our lives, whether we are truly Christ or not. Our deportment and carrying out our lives tell of our character's with the character within ourselves with our lives we give testimony to our identity in Christ through our principles and our practices and some of us need to be called on the carpet because if I looked at your life or shown a mirror into uh, up to your life you would look and you would say I can't say anything about my life as Christian we need to be confronted by that see With our lives, we are to give testimony, witness that our identity is in Christ Jesus. What we believe must impact how we behave, not so that we might save ourselves and gain salvation by what we do. But because God has graciously given us salvation, we are to behave as in the way in which we say we believe. See, we don't gain salvation, but because God has graciously saved us from our sin, from his penalty and his power within our life, we now live differently. I want to ask you this morning. Could a jury, could a jury of your family and your friends take your life and find enough evidence to convince and convict them, convince them and convict you that you were indeed a Christian. If your closest friends, if your closest family members took and looked at your life, would they be able to say, indeed, this is a man of God. This is a woman of God. This is a child of God. They live the gospel. It's frightening that most of us would not be able to convince the jury nor be convicted as Christians for indeed our behavior doesn't reflect what we say our belief is but we need to understand and we we need to ask ourselves the question do we find our identity in Christ and the gospel or do we find our identity in our salary in our stuff and in ourselves are we Christ made men of God or are we man made Men of ourselves. Which one? 
Are you a Christ-made man of God, a Christ-made woman of God, a Christ-made child of God? Or are you a man or woman of your own making? See, America says you are to be a self-made man. God says you can't be a self-made man in my eternal kingdom. You can only be a man who is made right by the blood and work of Jesus Christ, our sovereign Savior. Let me ask you this morning, are you dependent on God for your salvation? And does it show through in your words, your work, and your worship? Is it, is it evident when you come in here Sunday after Sunday and sing the songs and pray the prayers and, and hear the word of God taught that indeed you are a man whose words, works, and worship reflect that you are a child of the living God, that there is nothing that surpasses or supplants Jesus Christ in the course of your life? Listen, we in our culture tend to identify ourselves on the basis of the externals instead of the internals. And so we choose to push Christ out of the central place within our lives and choose to bring in the externals, the peripheral issues to define who we are. Our culture indeed tells us that we are nothing more than a conglomeration of cells suspended in a substance with only evolution to thank for our existence. They define and Divide people based on things like color, community, country, wealth, and political affiliation. But understand citizenship in a country is not to be our defining relationship within this world. But our defining relationship is to be our citizenship in the eternal heaven, in the eternal kingdom of God Most High. And if that is surpassed or supplanted by anything in this world, then we need to ask ourselves again, what is the most crucial and key aspect? What is the core of our identity? And if it is anything other than Jesus Christ, we need to shine the light of God's word into our soul and call ourselves what we truly are, idolaters before God. Indeed, we need to understand evolutionary theory within our culture has left us as fruitless and futile embodiments flailing away to find any purpose or significance for our existence. Because after all, if it is nothing more than time plus chance that equals matter and our existence here today, there is no purpose. There is no significance to your life or to my life. But this was not the belief of our founding fathers, nor is it the biblical Christian world view, nor is it the, the view of God that is reflected within our Bible. This is not the way that we are to view life, any life or any man. For Psalm 139 verses 13 through 18 tell us indeed the way that we are to view people. It says this, for you formed my, you being God, formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you see our culture and society say you're pointless 
You're just a conglomeration of a bunch of matter existing in a substance form. God says, no, I knew every detail about you before you were born. In fact, I made you. I knit you together. I wove you in the womb of your mother. I gave you life. I gave it to you. No man, your mom and dad didn't give it to you. The people around you didn't give it. I gave you life. Indeed, as such, we find that the source of life and the purpose of life for man is to be found in the fact that God spoke into nothing and created man in his image and for his glory. And so we read and understand Colossians chapter 1, which we read earlier about the fact that by him and through him and for him, all things were made that were made. We understand there that and see that God indeed created and sustained all things, but also So we find in Colossians chapter 2 that our identity is to be wrapped up in the God of the universe who created those things. For it says in verse 9 of chapter 2, For in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. For in Him, in Christ, you have been made complete. And He is the head over all rule and authority. And in Him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made not with hands in the removal of the body. Body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And yet we choose to identify ourselves by the exterior, by ourselves and our stuff, not by our Savior. And we choose to identify our, our, our concerns as those who are concerned with the outward and not with the inner. Those who only want to play Christianity and not be Christianity. See, we renounce or we understand that that indeed there is a special identity for those who have been delivered from the domain of darkness to live in the kingdom of glorious light by the risen Jesus Christ. And we have renounced our sin and our shame and repentance and received by faith Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And now we are not only creatures who were created by God our Creator, but now we are at once children of the living God because He has made us into a new creation for a second. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. And I've got to ask you this morning, what is your identity? What's your identity? It's your primary identity. The identity of yourself and your stuff. Maybe your primary identity this morning is the identity of of a nation, of your citizenship. But let me tell you this morning, if those are the primary primary identifiers of your life, you have missed 
the point of the text of Scripture. First and foremost in each and every one of our hearts and lives is not to be a kingdom of this earth, but the kingdom of God's eternal purposes. And so as we come this morning, we must understand that that we have a a potential today to either be ruined castles or castles of resplendent glory. Ruined castles or castles of resplendent glory. Well, pastor, what do you mean by that? Well, I'm glad you asked. See, Europe is full of ruined castles. We see them all the time on TV. It's amazing, these once great and grandiose statures, uh, structures that are crumbling because of the lack of care and concern that has been, uh, been exercised in the, in the last couple hundred, of, couple hundred years. I submit to you today that indeed many men, women, and children reflect the ruined state of those collapsing castles because they have bought the lie that their intrinsic value comes from themselves and their stuff and not from their creator, not from God's savior. If we find our identity and possessions in our power, in our popularity, instead of the person and work of Jesus Christ, then we are nothing more than collapsing castles, falling in upon ourselves, destined for an eternity of condemnation in hell. That's who we are. That's our identity if we don't know Christ. Pastor, is there any hope for us? Absolutely, there's hope. For God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So that indeed, those who receive him by faith would become the righteousness of God in him. See, if we see our sin, if we flee from it, if we surrender ourselves by faith to Christ and declare our dependence upon the true and living God, the truth of God's glorious gospel will set us free to be resplendent castles of glory for God's own glory in the midst of a world gone all wrong. Indeed, Jesus said within John chapter chapter 8, he said to the Jews who had believed upon his name and received him by faith, he said to them, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will what? The truth will make you free. The truth will set you free. See, we need to understand that we are free under in Christ to our identity in Christ is one that makes us free from the penalty and power of sin. It makes us free to flee from the sin that so easily entangles us within this world. What is the man of God to flee from? What is he to flee? He is to flee from the false teachings, from the divisions, the strife, the greed and the lack of contentment that we have talked about over these past few weeks. Indeed, our spiritual maturity is in part marked out by what we are running from. If we are to to be godly, if we are pursuing God, if we're following after God, we are to flee from these things. Well, pastor, I don't like that because that sounds like a whole list of do's and don'ts. And now you're making a checklist. Understand, I'm not making a checklist so that you might be saved. I'm saying that if indeed you are saved, you should be following God's list of do's and don'ts. I don't like do's and don'ts. Well, get over it. You have do's and don'ts to drive your car, don't you? 
We are thankful that the pilot last night of Keith's uh, flight that got in at 2.45 this morning, yeah, we're, we're very thankful that Keith's pilot followed the do's and don'ts of air traffic control. Businessman, you have do's and don'ts that you operate. You can't have life without do's and don'ts. You can't have the Christian life without do's and don'ts either. And the question is, are we going to submit ourselves and obey God's do's and don'ts? Or are we going to do what we want to do? See, the Bible is the mirror that reflects God's light into our soul by which we know God's commands and either receive or reject them. Listen, spiritual maturity in part is marked by what we flee from. But in addition, we need to understand that spiritual maturity and a true dependence upon the gospel is not only marked by what we flee, but also what we follow or what we pursue. Indeed, we need to understand and look through the Bible. And what did Joseph do when Potiphar's wife asked him to come and lay with him, with her, he, what, fled. But what did David do when he was on the housetop? He stuck around and walked a little bit, thought about it, till he walked down the line, down the, down the road, received Bathsheba even as his own. See, we are not just to be marked As those who flee sin, who flee the world, but we are to be marked as those who follow God in our character and in our deportment. The Christian who is truly a man or a woman of God will be following or pursuing righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance and gentleness like hounds on the trail of a hot rabbit. Indeed, the heart of a life that has been truly, truly changed by God's grace will be seeking to live out these qualities. Now, some of you are sitting there going righteousness godliness faith love perseverance and gentleness i don't know any of these things well let me say this morning if you don't know any of these things and you have no desire for them that tells you this morning you need god as your savior you need to surrender to his sovereignty For if you don't have these things and they're not increasing, it ought to be a wake-up call that our soul needs salvation and that we need to find a resting place in God's Savior. Listen, you don't need these things in order to be saved and you don't do these things in order that you might earn your way into heaven. You do these things because you have been saved and you are now living in dependence upon God's Spirit moment by moment, day by day, to live through you and to conform you to the image of of our risen Lord Jesus Christ for Romans 8, 12 through 14. It says, so then brothers, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live for all who are being led by the spirit of God. These are the sons of God. Let me ask you this morning, father. You living by the Spirit of God, are you a man of God? Mother, you living by the Spirit of God? Depending on Him day by day to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ, are you a woman of God? Child, let me ask you this morning, as you sit here, are you, day by day, living in dependence upon God that brings freedom for you in your life? See, The United States of America couldn't flag, fly the flag of Great Britain 
and old glory at the same time. The flag of the of Great Britain, the United States flag of old glory could not fly at the same time. Because there could only be one sovereign state at a time. The same is true for your life and my life. We can't fly the flag of self-sovereignty and the flag of the sovereign Savior at the same time. It must be either one or the other. For no man can serve two masters. He will either love one and hate the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. But understand this, we must fly the flag of Jesus Christ within our hearts and within our lives and must be marked by what we are fleeing and what we are following in the same way that Paul Paul says, Timothy, you man of God, you flee these things. You follow God. You follow God. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. See, we had men and women within this world give their lives to deliver freedom for our United States from the oppressive rule of an earthly tyrant. But praise be to God. For God himself gave his only begotten son. To surrender himself as a substitute. Even unto death to deliver us. From the cruel clutches and overwhelming oppression of sin. For all of those who rest in him. Anywhere. The queen goes in England. When she arrives. They run a flag up the flagpole. Her standard. You know what that flag signifies? Signifies that that is the royal residence because the queen is abiding within. She is living within that residence. Wherever she goes, the first thing that happens, they run the standard up the flagpole. Same is to be true for the Christian. When Christ comes into your heart and your life or my heart and my life, his flag is to run up our flagpole. And everybody is to see and to know us. That we are men of God, women of God, children of God. That we are those who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. Grafted by grace and living under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So that all might see and know the glorious gospel of God. What flag do you fly in your life today? Do you fly the flag of selfishness and self-absorption? Or do you flag the, fly the flag of a sovereign Savior to whom you have surrendered all of your heart and your life and your will? Father, I ask this morning that if there is someone here this morning who does not know you, who has not renounced themselves and surrendered fully to you, that this morning that they would come to Allow their faith to find a resting place in you and in you alone. Father, may you lead us and guide us in the midst of this time. Father, give us great wisdom. Father, give us the humility to renounce ourselves, to lay down our lives, and to surrender ourselves fully to you and to you alone. Lord, may you lead us and guide us now in this time of decision. Father, may we flag your, fly your flag of sovereignty over our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. As we stand, and stand now for our hymn of invitation.